Well, good morning, current family. Happy New Year to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can gather together in this way and worship you virtually. Father, thank you for bringing us through a tough year. Uh, 2020 was, was, was a challenge for many of us. Father, would you please go, go before us in this year ahead? We put ourselves into your hands and trust and want to follow you in the midst of it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, Happy New Year to you. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas holiday and New Year's Day celebration. Uh, here we are at the, at the beginning of a new year after a doozy of a year. I mean, 2020 was one for the books. And unfortunately, it looks like 2021 is, at least here at the top, not going to be terribly different. Although, of course, we, we pray it will be so. I think what a lot of us have been doing up to this point, at least for the last year or so with all the pandemic and the shelter-in-place lockdowns and, and so on, is primarily looking at our situation from the perspective of how do I get through this? How do we get by? Whether it's been at the societal level, whether it's at the individual and family levels, whether it's even here as, as a church, we've just been asking, how do we get by? How do, how do we get through this? It's been survival mode. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to continue to let that be our mode of op operation. Instead, I want to be asking, especially as Christ followers, God, what is it you want to be doing in us and through us in the midst of it all? God, what is it you want to be doing in us and through us no matter what's ahead? And so we're really excited to start this new series we're calling Onward as we consider joining God in what he puts, is putting in front of us in this year ahead, whatever that might mean. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews, which I believe is just a great place to consider these things because Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who had been facing such suffering for such times that they were beginning to grow weary and tired of life and faith. But in this book, we have a beautiful, masterful invitation and call to be strengthened in the Lord. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 8 today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that out. If not, don't worry, it'll be on the screen for you. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 13 today and then, and then zeroing back to Hebrews 11 as we go forward in this text. But Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 8 read, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can your mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. All right, well, what I believe we see here in this text are at least three calls for when times are hard and when the future is uncertain. Three calls. The first call is a call to persevere. 
Uh, the book of Hebrews, again, was written to a group of first century Christians who were in danger of giving up. They had been facing for a good deal of time by the time this, this letter was written to them. Uh, they were facing persecution and really scary things. For instance, uh, they had been physically assaulted. Some had been, uh, their homes had been, had been plundered. Uh, some had been cast into prison because of their faith. And some had been publicly ridiculed because of their profession in Jesus. And so, therefore, throughout all of Hebrews, you have appeal after appeal, like you see in Hebrews 2. We must pay careful attention so that we do not drift away. And then in Hebrews 3, we must hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. And then in Hebrews 4, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. I could read any uh, other number of, of references, but the call to persevere is also in our own text today, uh, chapter 13, in many places. Look at verse 1. Keep on loving one another. That word for keep, keep on is the Greek word meno, which means to persevere at, to remain steadfast at. Verse 2 says, do not forget to show hospitality. Verse 3, continue to remember those in prison. Verse 5 again, keep your lives free from the love of money. Verse 7, remember. Uh, these were Christians who were facing far harder circumstances than you or I are facing today and for a great deal of time. And so the call to them through this text and the call through them to us today is to persevere. A few months ago, I, I talked about how we need to remember that life is like a marathon. That life is, you know, the long course and it's going to take turns and up, there's going to be ups and downs, but we just, we need to remember to, to keep the perspective that life and, and our faith really is, is like a marathon. And I mentioned how I have friends who run marathons who told me, who have told me that preparing for marathons is not just about preparing physically. In fact, just as important as preparing physically is preparing mentally for marathons. I mean, because it takes a lot of mental fortitude to get through such a long race. I think a lot of us recognize that life is like a marathon. I think intellectually, just kind of at the high level, we, we just kind of, we understand that life is like a marathon. Check. But I think in practice, the reality is we tend to live life more like it is a sprint. That's why when little cuts and turns or, or little stumbles along the way can really potentially take us out. Uh, I've experienced this. I mean, when Shelter in Place first got going, at first I was just kind of like, oh, this is a bummer. This is, you know, I'm thinking and praying for those who are especially hit by this and our first care responders. But to me, it was just kind of, you know, a little bit whatever. But then as it started to continue on and then it became clear that this was going to be for an indefinite amount of time, boy, then it got me really down and down for, for a good while until the Lord kind of got a hold of me and helped me have a different perspective, really helping me have a shift from the, the, the sprint type mentality to a life is like more of a marathon. And I got to see, the Lord helped me see that, boy, this is hard, this is not fun, and we need to mourn, but there is opportunity to love, serve, and care for others, no matter how long this goes on. Let me ask you, how do you approach life? Are you good at, are you able to see it from a call to persevere, to endure, to see it as a marathon? Or are you more in the day-to-day -day kind of at the whims of the cuts and turns? Are you living more as if life is like a sprint? And if that's the case for you, what would it take 
to, to bring this to the Lord and ask him to help you develop a heart of perseverance. Uh, that's the first call here. It's a call to persevere. Secondly, we see a call to press on. And really, the vast majority of this text is calling out specific ways for how we are to press on. And before getting into kind of the micro, let me, let me look at the, the macro with you. Consider these thoughts on a whole. Because what we see here is the, the writer to the Hebrews not just saying, hey, you just need to be able to get through this, but you need to see this as an invitation for how you can join God through it. There's this phrase out there that many of you have probably heard, maybe you've even used it, but it's the phrase, I don't want to just survive, I want to thrive. I love that phrase in a sense because it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of fun. Like, I don't want to just survive, I want to thrive. And you know, what I take from this text here is that if that's all we want, we're actually selling ourselves short. God wants more for us than just even to thrive. Meaning he doesn't want us just to uh, survive, he doesn't want us just to thrive. Now, of course, it kind of depends what we mean by thrive, but typically when someone's saying that phrase, I think they're saying, well, you know, circumstances are hard. I don't want to just kind of eke my way through it. I want to be able to have like an inner well-being and just be, be good and happy and joyful on the inside. Or they're saying, when, when, when they're saying, I don't want to just survive, I want to thrive, they're saying, I, I want my circumstances to become better and easier and more, more comfortable for me. If that's the case, God wants so much more for, for you and me. Here's another way of thinking of it. God doesn't just want you to be doing well. He wants you to be doing good. Here in this text, the Hebrews writer to these Christians who are really facing a lot of suffering for a good length of time, he's not just saying, hey, here's how you just kind of eke through it. Or here's how you can just have an internal peace, which God also wants you to have. He's saying, here's an invitation to join with God in the work he wants to do in you and through you. There are three calls to press on here as we look at kind of these more specific ways that, he, that, he, that the writer calls out here. Three themes. The first one is a call to love and serve others selflessly. Verse 1 says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Uh, the Greek syntax here in the original language is really straightforward and powerful. It says literally three words, one another, Philadelphia, which of course we know to be brotherly or sibling type love, and that word meno again, to remain at, to, to be steadfast at, to keep on. Just, you know, keep loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is the first thing the Hebrew writer calls out here in this text, meaning giving it pride of place. He's saying in the midst of hard circumstances, don't neglect loving and caring for and receiving love and care from other Christians. It is of vital importance. I've heard it said that the Christian faith knows nothing of going it alone. This is all the more important to understand right now as we are in another lockdown, sheltered in place. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy how this term, Zoom fatigue, has become a part of our vernacular. Right? I mean, now we know, we all know what Zoom fatigue is. We've probably all experienced, probably maybe even experiencing it, you know, like right now, right? It's this idea of like we're just all in meetings all day, whether it's on Zoom or Google Hangout, whatever, and we're looking at a screen, it's giving us headaches or whatever. It's just like, I don't need any more of this. I just need personal interaction, or if not that, just nothing at all. Just give me, give me a break. And that's where meeting other Christians, say at a Bible study or one of our current groups, becomes all the more challenging. 
Because if we've had a whole day of meetings over Zoom or whatever it might be, and then we have just one more thing at the end of the day, that might mean we don't want to do it that night. And what I'm, what the Hebrew writer here is saying is, no matter the circumstances, no matter the trying, make sure to prioritize getting and receiving love and care from others and giving love and care of others to, to, to others. Uh, you need Christian brothers and sisters, and Christian brothers and sisters need you. And so we need to be intentional about this, being there for one another. We're getting ready to start current groups back up again here in a few weeks, so I encourage you to think about this. And again, if, if you can, not think about it from the perspective of, well, I'm just going to wait till this all gets behind me, but to consider it from this idea of the Hebrews writer speaking to people where, man, they were facing full-blown persecution. He was saying, don't neglect this. Don't delay. We just encourage you to consider that. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. You know, I love that thought, by the way. Loving, you know, with Philadelphia, with, with brother or sisterly love. In a, in a, in a non-dysfunctional family, brotherly, sisterly love is a love that's just, I'm just there for you. And, and you're there, for, and I can, I can count on you being there for me during the ups and downs and hard. Uh, we need to be there for one another. That's the first thought there, is to keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Second thought, verse 2, is do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Now, this one probably needs a bit of an asterisk during you know, a global pandemic, because if we're going to consider it on the whole, right, it wouldn't be too loving or hospitable to bring someone into an environment where you know, it's not safe for them, or that, that wouldn't be loving. But the point is clear. When we can, we need to offer hospitality. And the thing to me about hospitality is it's one of those ministries that we tend to undervalue, but it's of vital importance, caring for others, bringing them into our homes, serving them. This word strangers, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean complete strangers. What it means is, the the sense of the word is it means people that we're not necessarily buddy-buddy with. It could be other people in the church, is actually probably what this context is specifically meaning. Other people we, we don't yet know at a real good level, just to bring them into a space and just care for them. You know, thinking about the atmosphere, thinking about ways to connect people, help people feel warm and and welcomed. Uh, Hospitality is of vital importance. Uh, One of the things I love about uh, hearing it from a number of you who are moving or have just moved, whether you're renting or you're looking looking to own, is how for a number of you here at Current, I love this, is you've been looking for places specifically that allow you to be hospitable towards others. Maybe passing on certain places until you could find a place with a large enough living room that you can host a small group. Or looking for a place that has an extra bedroom that maybe sacrifices over here and makes it a little less convenient for you over here because of your budget, but allows you to have people come in and through your place. Maybe even foster kids, which I know is the case for for a few of you. This is what we're called to do, is, is to be hospitable. For those of you where hospitality is your gift, it's a call to lean into that. For the rest of us, it's a call to, to not neglect it, to keep at it, to be hospitable to others. It's a vital ministry when we can do it. And then number three, verse three, he says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, the context for this letter was the writer was writing to a group of Christians who were experiencing uh, 
being put in jail for their faith. A lot of Christians were being put into, into jail because, because of their, their faith in Jesus. And so the writer here undoubtedly was saying, make sure that you go and you care for them. You visit them. You remember as if you yourself was, was there. You remember them and you're taking care of their loved ones. But I don't think this text is just saying we're only to care for those in jail who are there because of their faith. I think it's, a, it's to say we care for everybody in jail. And just remember them. Look for ways to serve if, if it's possible. Sadly, that's actually really hard to do, to get really practical about this. I remember a few years back looking into this uh, personally to see how we could get, be a part of this. And sadly, there's a lot of red tape to try to get into, you know, prison ministries sort of thing. That's why I'm really excited about one of our newer partners, uh, a, bright, uh, a Bright Day, uh, where we've, we're helping youth uh, who are coming out of the juvenile hall system or are in it. Like It's just wonderful to partner with them. If you happen to know um, or have relationships with ministries or organizations within the, the criminal justice system with prisons, let us know. Uh, we'd be open to it. But um, I think higher level what we see here, especially when it goes on to say, and take care of those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering, is this thought that we need to serve and stand in for those who are voiceless, those who are powerless. Those who are experiencing mistreatment, those who are experiencing discrimination. And I love this thought of saying as if you yourself were suffering, meaning don't just kind of do it. Put yourself in their shoes with empathy and love out of that heart. So we see this call to press on, first to love others selflessly, but secondly, secondly we're called to pursue holiness. Now, the word holiness isn't in this text here in, in, in Hebrews 13, but the idea, of course, is, and that is God calls us to pursue purity and what is right in his eyes. Uh, three thoughts under this heading. Uh, verse 4 says, marriage should be honored by all. Uh, marriage is something not to be considered lightly. I've now had the opportunity to do six current COVID, uh, COVID-19 weddings, and in the ceremony, I will always say these words, marriage is not to be entered upon lightly or unadvisedly, but thoughtfully and reverently in the fear of God. I don't mean to take aim here, but our society as a whole, our culture, doesn't have the same view towards marriage that the Bible teaches, that God has for marriage. A number of years back, I came across an article in the New York Times, an op-ed piece entitled The Me Marriage. And basically, the writer's point was we need to look at marriage with the consideration of what's in it for me. And if it's not serving my own interests, it's not helping. Sure, I need to you know, think about the other, but really, if it's not serving me and my purposes, then all bets are off. Whether in entering into it with someone else or whether I'm already in it and just considering my options. But the Bible teaches that marriage is not a me marriage, but rather a the other marriage. That we're called to look first to the needs of the, uh, of the other, even before our own. We're called to love selflessly and care for others. The marriage bond should be honored by all. Practically speaking, this is saying something we all know, and that is marriage takes work. A good, loving, healthy marriage won't just necessarily happen on its own, but it takes real work. And, and that's all the more true right now during shelter in place than ever before, at least collectively on the whole. I remember when uh, the um, 
the pandemic first started and we were being put into shelter in place. Of course, China and specifically the Wuhan area had been at it for months before that. As we were entering into lockdown, they were kind of coming out of it and they had had a real severe lockdown and all of that. And I remember a friend sending me an article saying how coming out of that lockdown, the area of Wuhan had seen a skyrocket of divorce rates. Like just, you know, coming out of that lockdown, just tons of people were getting divorced. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness. One, I was just thinking, oh, how, how sad and how terrible. But two, I was thinking, oh my goodness, like, Lord, please protect us as we enter into that. And, and we all understand the reasons that that can happen. I mean, there's just lots of stress right now, lots of pressures, lots of anxieties. And it's not like you can just, you know, naturally go out and just kind of cool off or, or get kind of a breather. I mean, we're all in tight quarters and it's hard. And I think it's important for, for marriages to recognize that, to have a, a frank conversation, to normalize it, by the way, that a lot of people are struggling and having a hard time. And if you need help, to get help. I don't think that's a sign of weakness. If anything, I think it's a sign of strength, saying, you know what, we need to get help. And if we can be a help to you, current family, let, let us know. We want to come alongside you in that. But we, the marriage bond should be honored by all. And the second thought here is, in the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Here's another area our culture tends to see differently than the scriptures teach, the way that the Lord sees it. Of course, this text is talking about sex outside of marriage. But notice that it doesn't just say, don't do this, but rather gives us language to help us understand why and what the thought is behind it. Because it says the marriage bed need to be, quote, kept pure. Contrary to what many people think in our, in our culture, the Bible does not have a prudish view of sex. In fact, it, it celebrates sex within the bond of marriage. The whole book of Song of Solomon's is celebrating sex. In fact, to such a degree that I think if we were all to read it, especially in its original language, which our English translator tends to, translators tend to tone down, it would make us blush. Our culture is big on consensual sex, and that's good. But you know what? The Bible's way bigger of a proponent of consensual sex. Because you see, the Bible explains something about sex that our society tends to downplay or not see. And that is, on the whole, the Bible sees sex not just as a carnal appetite to be satiated. The Bible says sex is so much more. In Genesis 2, we really see the first wedding service. In fact, many Christian weddings, all Christian weddings, really reenact that first wedding when the, the Father, God the Father, brings Eve and to, to Adam. And what, what do you think? And Adam's just blown away like this is amazing. After the service, it basically it says very famously, and the two be, will become one flesh. Uh, that word one flesh isn't just talking about a physical union, but a spiritual union. We don't have time to get into all of it now, but essentially the, the Bible teaches that sex is a way of us saying to our spouse, I belong wholly, permanently, exclusively to you and to you alone. And we can only say that in marriage. Sex in marriage is our way of saying, I'm, I'm open, I'm completely vulnerable to you. You, you. I am yours fully and you are fully mine. And that's why sex is essentially a covenant renewal. And so notice, that's why God goes on to say here in this text that he will judge the adulterer. Uh, that's to say the person who has sex with somebody who's not their spouse. And he will judge all the sexually immoral, which is to 
in reference to all sex outside of marriage. Now, does this mean that sex outside of marriage is the unforgivable sin? No, it's not to say that. The gospel or good news of Jesus is that we are all exceedingly sinful, that we all desperately miss the mark and need Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness in any number of ways. As a church, we want to be there and we are committed to helping couples or individuals in whatever way you feel comfortable in, in coming alongside you in that. Whether it's helping connect people with, with housing situations or whatever the case may be, we're certainly not going to put pressure on you one way or the other. This is a decision between you and the Lord. We're not going to judge because the Bible talks very specifically the minute we start to judge others, the minute we realize that we miss the fact that we ourselves are going to be judged. No, we would just want to do our best to come alongside you and each other in, in, a, in, truth, in, in grace and truth, loving and serving each other in the midst of that. Uh, verse 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Uh, while sex traditionally gets a lot of attention in the American church, uh, here's one that frankly does not and is probably uh, way more widespread. Greed. Uh, Jesus talked about money more than just about anything else. Uh, he talked about money a lot because money can have real power over us. Notice here in verse 5, it does not say that money is in and of itself good or bad. It says that we need to keep ourselves from the love of money. And Jesus, of course, very famously said, you cannot serve both God and money, which is to say it's real easy to serve money to the point of it's our God, where we looked for our ultimate sense of security and identity. We need to be careful. Now, there's so much we could say to this point. In fact, any number of these thoughts can be a full sermon in, in their own right. So let me just say this with our time. It seems to me that one of the antidotes to the love of money is to give generously. In fact, maybe we can even take it a step further. One of the antidotes to the love of money is to give sacrificially. Because in giving generously, in giving sacrificially, we remember what money ultimately is about. Money is to help take care of our needs. God provides for our needs, certainly, but also to provide for other needs as well. And the reality is, of course, we live in the Silicon Valley, which is well-to-do in the U.S., let alone the world, which means we need to all the more take this seriously, friends, and live generously and live sacrificially with our resources. Thank you so much for giving to our 2020 Impact Initiative. Uh, Cindy's going to be sharing an update soon, which I think will be a lot of fun to celebrate here uh, in a few moments. Um, but and thank you for giving to the church. We want to, be, we want to be a church that gives generously and sacrificial, meeting needs tangibly where the Lord has us and, and spiritually as well. So there's a call here to press on in loving others selflessly, in pursuing holiness, and then verse 7, to remember our leaders. Uh, remember your leaders, he says, who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember your leaders. This word leaders, it's worth mentioning, is a generic word for leaders. It doesn't necessarily mean leaders in the church, although he does go on to say those who spoke the word of God to you. And one more quick side note, uh, in the original language, we aren't necessarily sure that the writer's referring to leaders who are still alive and actively leading in this church, or if he was referring to those who had been martyred in the past. 
But however we slice it here, we are called to remember our leaders. Those of you who are in leadership, you know that leadership is a lonely place. And all the more so in a time like 2020 and and where we are right now at the turn of the year. Uh, You're in a position where you're carrying a lot of weight or or a burden, where you're making decisions not just for yourself and for your your family, but, but for others. I have a pastor friend who put it this way. He said whenever he goes on vacation, he has to leave the immediate area because if he doesn't, it's as if he is still, quote unquote, on the wall. Like he's always just, if he stays in the area, he's going to constantly be looking over the, 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 the wall and seeing how, how things are resting and how things are moving or what needs to be done. I came across a very sobering statistic a couple months ago. Uh, in the midst of shelter in place, it was found that over 70% of senior pastors are looking for different jobs. Now, this is not a cry for help. It's not me, but it's, it's a sobering statistic. Think about it. I, I can't help but think what this means for, for, for church leaders, but also for you know, leaders that are out there starting uh, businesses or, or, or in startups or, or managing people who are going through a lot of strain and, and stress and pressure, and they're carrying that with them either directly or indirectly under the surface. This is a hard time to lead. We need to remember our leaders. One specific call out the Hebrew writer says here is to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Look specifically to their faith in the midst of hard times, draw strength from it, and press on because of it. All right, so we see here a call to persevere, a call to press on in these these ways, that God doesn't just want us to survive. He doesn't want us just to even thrive, but he wants us to press into the work that he wants to do in us and through us even in the midst of hard times, even with the future being uncertain. But you know, as I think about these things, this call to persevere, these call to press on, it's of vital importance to understand we can't let the sermon end there. Like We can't let that just be the takeaway thought because if we do, we will probably be crushed. In fact, it itself, this call to persevere and to press on in these ways itself will be crushing because all it can do at best is just help us hold on a little bit better. We need something far more, friends, and I think we know this. And this is what the Hebrew writer really wants to press in in our, in our text. That is, we see a call to persevere, we see a call to press on, and mainly, we see a call to press into Jesus. Look again at verses 5 and 6 and 8. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And then, of course, in verse 8, perhaps the most famous verse of all of Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Every time the Hebrews writer wrote to these Christians who were going through hard, challenging times, suffering, persecution, he called them to persevere, to endure, to hold firmly, to keep on. Meno, remain steadfast over and over again all throughout Hebrews, but he never once does it in a vacuum. He never once says, you just got to persevere and end of sentence. He always brings it back to pressing into Christ. We have to draw from Christ because in Christ, we have the strength to begin to maybe persevere 
and press on in these ways. Because Christ has done the one thing for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and that is bring us into a relationship, eternal life, loving relationship with God himself. There's this wonderful, wonderful promise in 2 Timothy 2, where Paul is writing to one of his young protégés, Timothy, and he just says something that's just so profound. He says, he says, you need to remain faithful, Timothy, remain faithful. And then he says this, but even when you are faithless, he, Jesus, will remain faithful. That word remain is the same word meno. To, it's saying that Jesus will remain steadfast. He will persevere in loving and caring for us even when we have trouble, even when we ourselves are faithless, which means, friends, even when you struggle to persevere, even when you struggle to press on in these different ways, loving others sacrificially, honoring marriage, keeping purity in the marriage bed, uh, caring for those who are, who are mistreated, remembering your leaders, the list goes on. Even when we struggle in those things, God will remain steadfast in his faithfulness to you working in and through you. And so that makes all of this a wonderful, joyous invitation because where it leaves us is with grace and his power to take steps forward in the midst of this. Not just to survive, not just even to thrive, but to join in him the work that God wants to do in us and through us because of what Jesus has already started inside of us and wants to carry on to completion. So friends, you know, 2020 was a hard year. 2021, at least here at the top, looks to be not that much different. But friends, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is gracious, and he is loving, and he's going to remain faithful to you even as you can lean into and press into him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you persevere in your love for us, that we follow the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that love we see so clearly in your scriptures is one of grace and mercy and holiness and, and, and truth and persevering in your love towards us. So we thank you. Father, would you please help us persevere in you? Would you please help us uh, press on in this call, not to just survive, not even just to thrive, but to love others selflessly, to pursue holiness, to remember our leaders, and just and just seek the invitation and call that you have before us in the year ahead. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.